Hi, everybody. Welcome into Tech Tuesday here on INE Live. I'm your host, Katherine Brown. We're wrapping up Women's History Month with a spotlight on the women of INE today, and I am so excited about this stream. Uh, we have four absolutely incredible women that we are bringing on as guests today, and we hope this candid conversation featuring women of various skill sets, backgrounds, ages, and experiences really will resonate with you and help you along your journey. They're also a lot of fun to be around, and we have had a ton of fun prepping for this, uh, so we hope you enjoyed it as much as we do. Before we get started, as we do each time we stream here on INE Live, I want to let you know we are, of course, streaming live across social media platforms right now, including LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe with the notifications turned on for whichever platform you're using so you can stay in the loop when we do get live. And we, of course, want you to get involved. We want you to talk to each other, talk to us, leave your comments, leave your questions. We have an entire team monitoring chat right now. So if you have a question or if you have a comment, drop it in. If you do have a question, we just ask that you go ahead and put a cue at the beginning of that question so that our moderators and we can find that uh, very easily. And we'll get to as many questions as we can today. Now I want to bring in our guests and we will start with Dr. Amanda Martin. Amanda is an instructional designer and adult education specialist with INE. She worked in the field of education for more than 10 years before transitioning to the tech community. Amanda is an alumni of Auburn University, we'll forgive her for that, go dogs, Southeastern University, uh, Southeastern University, uh, Louisiana University rather, and Kennesaw State University. Amanda, so glad to have you here with us today. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here to talk about this today. Awesome. Our next guest, Brittany Barker, is a content specialist with INE. She is experienced in the defense industry, creative writing, and technical documentation. Brittany earned her bachelor's degree from Elon University and is currently pursuing a master's degree in technical communication and management at Mercer University. Britt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here, and I can't wait for the show to start. Awesome. All right, Candace Rowe, next up. She is head of people operations with INE. Candace has worked as a personnel consultant before transitioning to the HR field. She's an alumni of UNC Chapel Hill and George Mason. Candace, so glad to have you here today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. I love the map behind you. You look very worldly, Candace. Excited to hear uh, all that you have to say today. Uh, Natasha Emanuel, next up, is a content portfolio product manager with INE. She has more than 15 years experience developing innovative technology solutions and customer experiences and a long history of working with educational institutions as well, including Spelman College, the University of Maryland, Georgia State University, and others. Natasha has been on INE Live before. We're glad to have you back. Thanks for being here, Natasha. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. Excited to, to be a part of the show and to get the show started and talk with all you ladies. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to jump in right off the bat. Um, and what I'd like to do first is just kind of go round robin and have each of you give your, your definition of a woman in tech. What does that mean to you? What comes to mind when you think of that? Uh, Natasha, you were last in the introduction, so we'll just go backwards. We'll start with you right now. What does a woman in tech mean to you? Oh, man. Um, so the first thing I can think of is, you know, dynamic. Um, so many of the women that I've met in tech have um, worn a number of hats, come from, you know, a range of experiences and backgrounds, and um, they bring something very unique uh, to help to elevate some of the things that we're seeing in technology today. And I think my mind just goes directly to, like, creating more of a sense of humanism when we think of, like, the hardcore, you know, core colder skills, I think, in technology. 
Okay, and one, one of the things that we were talking about, and I'll, I'll throw this out to the group as we continue, um, you know, to kind of say on this topic, but um, when we were when we were rehearsing and prepping for this show, we thought, we were talking about, what is it, a woman in tech, and, and do we consider ourselves women in tech, right? Because we have different job roles, but all of us work for a tech company, perhaps not in that traditional tech role that you might, you might think of, you know, doing the technical jobs, but are we considered women in tech? Candace, what do you think? Do you consider yourself a woman in tech? You're in HR for a tech company. I do. It has been a little bit of a challenge. I will say I am newer to INE. So when I first came on, I struggled with that as I am in HR. And I didn't feel like I had earned that title, I think is the right way to say it, because that is, to me, a woman in tech is um, something to look up to. A woman in STEM fields is something that needs more representation there. So I was very excited to be considered a woman in tech. And as we did dive more into this topic, as we prepped, I was like, well, yeah, a woman in tech is any woman who works in the tech field and defines herself that way. And as I've worked with so many wonderful women here, I have gotten comfortable with that title. And I think we are all women in tech and we should all uh, see that as a positive light. I love taking ownership, uh, you know, how you're taking ownership of that role and um, and molding it, uh, you know, to, to, to fit your, your definition of it and, and really leaning into it. Um, Britt, you have a completely, you know, kind of different role here at INE. Um, you do a lot of the technical writing. Um, I, we work together uh, very closely in marketing and in content, but um, when you hear woman in tech, what does that mean to you? So to me, a woman in tech is really anyone that contributes to the progress of technology that we see today. Anything that's really driving humanity forward, especially in the digital age. Um, growing up, I was always working very closely with my dad and I learned how to work with like routers and computers and I never really had that uh, mindset that I wasn't a woman in tech or STEM. Um, despite my primary role now being in writing, I still consider myself to be a woman in tech, mostly because of my background, but also because I feel like my position here helps with planning and bringing awareness to the mass community about what technology is and how to use it. Do you feel, uh, I'm curious, do you feel that same sense of um, almost reverence that Candace was talking about when it, when, when it comes to defining a woman in tech? Absolutely. Uh, being a woman in tech is very complicated, I think, because it is a very male-dominated field. You don't see female representation all the time or everywhere and it's something to be proud of. It's something that you should take ownership in if you do consider yourself to be a woman in tech. But it's also important to note that a woman in tech isn't necessarily a technical practitioner. So I, I would say that I feel that reverence, but I also have that personal identification. What about you, Amanda? You're probably, uh, of this group, probably the closest to maybe a, a traditional tech role. Um, do you consider yourself, uh, you, well, do you, do you, is that true, I guess? And do you consider yourself a woman in tech? What does that kind of phrase mean to you? To me, a, a woman in tech is anyone that self-identifies as a woman um, who contributes to the tech community in some way. And yes, I do consider myself a woman in tech, which if you told myself that 10, 15 years ago, I probably would not believe you. <laughs> um, 
But yes, I mean, anyone I feel like in this space who contributes, as, as Brittany had said, to the advancement of technology or the field itself or that understanding or enables other to continue that advancement, to me, is a woman in tech. The goal of any community is to, to further that field, right, to further the understanding, the knowledge, the skills, the resources. Um, and you need a broad range of people with a multitude of skills to do that. Um, so while we're used to hearing tech, you know, women in tech being the hard skilled practitioners like which I wish I was on, they're super cool, uh, like the coders and the hackers and the cloud gurus and the networking amazing ladies. Um, it's a little bit bigger than that now. And I think that's a really cool advancement. And it's about time that it was acknowledged that it takes a village, you know, um, they say to raise a family, but it takes a whole community, even sometimes a whole mini world to create a field and advance it. And that's what we're doing here today as women in tech. I, I love that. That's a, the perfect phrasing. You know, it takes takes a village, takes a community. Um, and, and I think all of us are, are living that out in a day-to-day. -day. Um, all right, I wanted to do something fun. We talked about this uh, as we were prepping, but we're going to do a bit of a lightning round. And uh, I'm just going to throw a word out there. And um, I want you to just, let's see, I, I'll call your names out, right? And you just tell me the first word that comes to your mind when, when I say this. And we'll do a few different words. And um, just kind of maybe use this as a bit of a conversation starter and i would encourage uh you know people who are watching please comment in with your thoughts as well um we'd love to look at those and to share those as well so as we're kind of running through this you know we want this conversation to be candid and lead you know where it goes organically so uh again i'm just going to throw a word out there you just tell me the first word uh, that comes to your mind when i say this uh, amanda it professional this is so hard. <laughs> IT professional. You told me you looked up words before we. Diverse. I did. I did. I was not expecting that. Um, I'd say diverse. Diverse. Okay. What about you, Candace? Um, my immediate thought is our wonderful IT professional, Jamie. But I immediately, <laughs> I, I think I go back to that, you know, very technical field. IT professionals. Tasha, what do you have? Um, immediately my mind goes to somebody who has their hands on a computer, <laughs> like fixing things okay. and making, you know, creating solutions. What about you, Brett? Collaborative. Collaborative. Love it. All right. Uh, Brett, we're going to start with you again, put you on the spot double. Computer specialist. <laughs> oh, gosh. I think that's more of where I have Natasha's feeling of like someone with their hands on a computer. All right, Natasha. Um, I think of engineering. All right. Candace? I'm going cyber. Okay, cool. Computer specialist. Amanda, what do you think? Eyeballs hurting. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at a screen all day. <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, cyber Lola weighing in on the comments, by the way, saying nerd. I'm pretty sure she's kidding. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Um, so, okay. Let's let's try another one. Uh, tech career, Candace. Varied. I think it's a very varied career, and like Amanda was saying earlier, there is not one definition, and that's certainly something I've learned in my time at I and E. Tech career, Britt. Well-rounded. You need so many different skills to have mm -hmm. a career in technology, be it with the actual hardware, the software, or even those soft skills like being able to communicate. Um, so well-rounded. What about you, Natasha? Tech career. 
I think of evolving, you know, every day things are changing and expanding. And now we, you know, we have to challenge ourselves and learn new skills. And it's interesting, it's interesting to see how the more things change, I, I think it, it creates more of an opportunity for people to kind of step up and, um, you know, be more innovative and have greater opportunities that they had in the past. Love it, love it. Uh, tech career, Amanda, what do you think? Well, Natasha stole my word, um, but I'll also <laughs> go with <laughs> I'll go with agile um, because I'm learning. The more I'm in the tech community, there's different paths to success, and a lot of times you're interwoven between areas and content overlaps. So just that agileness and being able to pivot and evolve as we continue to do that in an agile manner. These are such great answers, by the way. And can I can I just say I'm so honored to be in this stream with you four. Um, you all are amazing and just uh, what you bring to this industry and, and certainly to this company is, is very special. Um, all right, we're gonna do a couple more real quick. Uh, I, feel like, I feel like I should have Vanna White up here going like, female professional, <laughs> I'm like turning it. But uh, Candace, female professional, what do you think? First word that comes to mind. First word is hard. I think it's hard to be a female professional and I think it's a big challenge, but um, Obviously, lots of wonderful women, especially those that I work with, do it very well. Female professional, Brittany. My immediate word was um, empathetic, and that primarily comes from, I think, that institutionalized understanding of what it means to be a woman. Um, but I think that that carries over well into the professional realm. What about you, uh, Natasha, female professional? I think of polished. A lot of times, I think um, the media expectation is that you, you're like you have to be perfectly polished and always well put together, regardless of what's going on in your world. <laughs> so it's hard not to think of that first. I like it. I like it. What about you, Amanda? Multitasker. Um, a woman professional has a lot of hats that they wear in a day. Um, part of that's due to societal norms, part of it's due to industry demand, part of it's due to home life. So mm -hmm. wearing lots of hats, you have to be a good multitasker um, to be a professional and a good one at that. Love it. All right, last one. Um, and I just threw, I threw this on here um, kind of as a, as a last ad, but I am curious, you know, what, what you think of when I say this. Amanda, we'll start with you, CEO. Empower. Um, I don't even know if that's a real word, but <laughs> we're going to go with empower. Um, I think it's responsibility of a CEO to empower their teams. And that is one word I don't associate with anything other than results driven. And for a, for a team success, because that is what makes organizational success, which then leads to industry success and advancement. So empower, absolutely. I love that. Any CEOs out there watching, empower, empower your teams. To, uh, to make you more successful. Candace, CEO. Ownership. Um, I know there are a lot of those books, probably like um, Lean In, that a lot of uh, women that I know have read, where you're kind of supposed to be the CEO of your own career and you're supposed to be um, leading your own self as well. So I think of someone who really takes ownership and you know that's our CEO's role here at INE as well to really help guide us. And I want to come back to something you said in there, so I'm making a note. But I, uh, I do want to get back to that lean-in issue before we uh, before we wrap up today. Natasha, CEO. So I'm struggling with this one, um, but I'm going to stick with what I thought of first. The first thing I thought of was 
a man. And um, <laughs> I, I guess I'm, I'm sitting with it because I, I made a promise to myself that I always want to be honest and I want to be always want to be genuine. And I think um, perhaps it has something to do with maybe the, the, you know, the topic of this conversation and this month, but the contrast of it, I think just brought it straight to my mind. You went from talking about women. And when I, the first thing that comes to my mind when, when I hear a CEO is a man and, you know, I, I, I wish that it were a little different. I think that's very fair. I think probably uh, a lot of people, not only women, but people in general, you know, you, you, you hear CEO and you maybe conjure up this uh, image of, of a person in a business suit, most likely a man mm -hmm. in a corner office with a fabulous view, right? Um, so I, 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 just to say, you know, I think, I think you're on point there, Natasha. I, I, I don't think that that's, uh, that's an unfair assessment. Brittany, what do you think, CEO? The first thing that came to my mind was the word leader. Um, and I think that there is a very distinct difference between a leader and a boss. Um, and there's always those cute little pictures on LinkedIn that you see where a leader will provide or empower, as Amanda mentioned, their team to, pro to progress within the industry, whereas a boss will just kind of take what they can get from their team for themselves. Um, so I think that that's what I think of when I think of CEO. And I think that in many cases, unfortunately, that's an ideal, but I think that there are also plenty of cases where they are actual leaders that are empowering their teams. I think that's a great distinction. Uh, looking through the comments, Bob Bob wrote, efficient, effective, and confident as well. Uh, and I think that leads wonderfully into our next point, um, which is, you know, I want to touch on imposter syndrome, and there is a lot of emphasis put on being confident in the workplace, right? And, and there's many things that, um, you know, many reasons why you should be confident. And, and there's a whole mantra, you know, if you're not confident, like, fake it till you make it, right? Um, but with that, I think a lot of, and this is not specific to women, you know, there are various studies out there that say, uh, women experience imposter syndrome more, men experience it more, they experience it the same. So it's not unique to being a woman, but what is, you know, it's, it's unique in the way perhaps that, that women deal with it. But um, I throw this out to all of you, you know, do, have you experienced this imposter syndrome um, being this feeling that, that maybe you're, you're not good enough, maybe you don't know what you're talking about, and how do you kind of battle through that? Um, Amanda, we'll start with you because you've never once struck me as, as a person who's anything less than 1,000% confident. So let's hear it. <laughs> oh, well, that makes me happy. But at the same time, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I talked to Vern about this the other day. I'm, I'm coming on this show today as not an instructional designer, but as Amanda. And so today I'm going to answer that as Amanda. And as Amanda, 100% have felt imposter syndrome in multiple settings. Um, I think it's always challenging um, for me specifically, and I know it's out there as women, um, to, to boast or to celebrate our accomplishments. And so without those milestone celebrations and saying, yes, I did something phenomenal, I feel like that only makes my imposter syndrome worse. Um, additionally, I think that's there's, especially in this community, there's always something to learn, right? Everything is always changing. So it's hard to feel like you are an expert all the time when your environment is continually changing. So there's always waiting for the other shoe to drop or that platform is gonna update next month. How does that impact my work? Um, but ways that I've tried to overcome it 
is just to, to have some grace and to take a couple moments each day. I usually try to do this in the morning of saying, you know, if I had to do one thing this week, what is it? And identify that on my Mondays. And if I was able to do of all the things, just that one thing on Friday, I take that moment to say, congratulations, you did something. Because usually that one thing has to do with my professional development to help me not feel imposter syndrome, to be more knowledgeable, to grow in my own understanding of my job role. Um, so that's just what I do. One thing a week, if I can just get this one thing to help my understanding, to increase um, you know, the impact I can make within my team, then I'm combating my own imposter syndrome and revalidating that I know what I'm talking about. Just grace, just have some grace. I, and I think I think that <laughs> have some grace. I think those are great tips. You know, I think, I think that's a great um, strategy for overcoming it because it's it's not easy, right? You uh, you know, you're 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 walking in or or logging onto a meeting, walking into a meeting, whatever your dynamic is, um, and and I think again, anyone who experiences that imposter syndrome knows that sort of like pit in your stomach and that feeling that those words in your head that say, like, do I really belong here? Um, Am I good enough? Do I, should I speak up in this meeting? Do I, do I really know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, throwing it out there to the group. Do have you guys experienced experienced that? Maybe I'd love to hear a you know a story or an example of of experiencing that imposter syndrome. Well, I'm not I can say that. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can say. I mean, I, I experienced that. Um, Sometimes I'll say more often than not, right? Um, because you know I come from a background having a lot of experience in the the application of what I do on a regular basis, whether it's you know product management or in some cases project management. Um, but I work with some incredibly intelligent people and subject matter experts from all different um, aspects of the technical field, or you know, in instructional design or graphic design or human resources or marketing, and they have a wealth of knowledge. Um, so being able to keep up with some of those conversations and have a good um, understanding of how everything that they're doing and all the things that they talk, they're talking to me about impacts the, the products that we deliver to our customers and being able to translate that in a way that makes sense to the people that are actually a part of building those solutions and those products and services and also being able to communicate that back to you know our, our stakeholders and the people that we serve every single day that we show up here so um it, it's just so i'll say it's 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 a challenge day to day uh you know amanda brought up professional development and i think that's something that every single one of us is challenged with um, on a regular basis you know being able to um, just keep up with what's happening in, in our own cultures um, at work and uh, in the industry um, with our communities, you know, and we, we live in a world now where more and more people have a voice, you know, and you don't have to have a position to have a voice when it comes to um, technology. We have social media, you have um, all different types of platforms where people are able to kind of share their comments, even this platform, right? Um, you know, being able to engage with, with with anyone and have anything thrown at you at any given moment and you know feel confident enough to be able to respond to that in an intelligent way that is challenging to anyone and i i mean i challenge each and every one of you if you don't feel um challenged in that way then please tell me tell me what your what your secret is i would love to know <laughs> <laughs> you know i think uh first of all thank you for sharing that um natasha and and 
and thank you all for being, you know, sharing your vulnerabilities because it's it's difficult enough, um, right? That that we're sitting here, we all work together, and I'm sitting here asking you, you know, to share examples of when you felt you're most vulnerable um, in a professional setting. Um, but not only that, but we're also opening it up, um, you know, to to a broader audience. And so um, that alone, having the courage to be vulnerable and be candid in these situations, um, it, it speaks to your strength, to all, all of your strength, and the, and the confidence that I think you all have deep down inside. And I feel lucky because I'm the one who gets to ask the questions and I'm not having to answer them today. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I'm happy about that. Um, but uh, uh, Candace, Britt, um, any, any you know, thoughts on your side about, about imposter syndrome? I mean, the, the, the goal here is not to, not to spotlight our vulnerabilities, right? But to acknowledge that, that no matter who you are or what you do, or how you seem in that in that meeting room, we all have it to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, one of my experiences very early on in my professional career, I had done the research, I had put together the presentation, but I was the youngest person in the room, and I was the only female in the room. And before, the night before that meeting, I was stressed. I, I didn't think I knew what I was talking about. I didn't think I was prepared, um, but I was. I had put weeks of effort into this presentation and I, the one thing I was told was like, no one else has done the research. No one else knows what this meeting is even about, really. You're the expert here. It doesn't matter how old you are or what your gender is. It doesn't matter that you just came out of college and these other people have decades of experience. If you put in the work and the effort, then you're qualified to be there. Um, but I think, Catherine, what strikes me the most is the confidence that you mentioned. Um, there's this concept of confidence culture and that to overcome issues, you can just be confident and it'll be fine. Um, but I think it's important to note that it's OK to not be confident as long as you can take it in stride and build yourself up and not let it stop you. Um, because I think that's one of the things where you can really grow as an individual is to face those challenges. I love so much what you just said there um, in terms of giving yourself permission to not be confident, right? Um, because we are all told so much, you know, be confident or back to that, like fake it until you make it or you got to walk in like a boss mm -hmm. and this and that. But um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think, Britt, there's power in giving yourself permission to, to not be uh, confident sometimes. Candace, what do you think? I think that's 100% right. And I really resonate with what you said, Britt. Uh, I was actually talking to one of the other lovely ladies of INE who's not on um, this call this morning, and we were talking about Excel, um, which I, we all know there's a million different uh, ways to be an expert in Excel. And she was saying, well, I'm not an expert. And I said, well, that's good. Then you know enough to know that you're not, uh, that you would never rate yourself a pin because there is so much to know. And I think that's totally normal that we need to give ourselves that grace and own what we do know and um, feel confident enough to ask for help as well. And there has been plenty of times that I've had imposter syndrome, for instance, being invited to this, where I was going, am I a woman in tech? Um, and I think, <laughs> I think it's um, wonderful though, that especially a group like this, we can all empower each other and say, yep, we, we all deserve to be here. Yeah, and I think that's why having these conversations are so important, right? Um, women, and this is just, just the, the, the fact, the way it is, uh, women are 
the minority in tech. Um, I think there's, last I checked the statistic, about 28% of, uh, uh, of technology professionals are women. And so there is a distinct minority. Um, Amanda, you had, uh, you had something else to add on this, on this topic of imposter syndrome. Yes, just real quick. Um, there is one tip that I did not mention that I think might be helpful for anyone else that is suffering from imposter syndrome. And in the moments where I question myself the most, I just reiterate to myself out loud, you are worthy over and over and over again until it sticks. Because even if I'm not having enough um, confidence, you know, in that moment in my own abilities, I realize how much I respect the people around me and they hired me for a reason. So at that point, that helps to re-motivate me. Um, and even though I might not have all the answers to start looking for them because people believe in me, so I should believe in myself. I love that tip. I think positive self-talk is yeah. so important, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in you know sports, whatever. Um, <laughs> do you ever feel silly when you when you talk out loud to yourself like that, Amanda? Because I know sometimes like I'll do it or I tell my kids to do it. And I'm like, you know, I'll tell my son, like, you know, you can get this baseball game. You just have to you just have to look and say, like, I can do this. Like, I am strong. And he looks at me like, I'm not <laughs> saying that to myself. <laughs> you know, no, you know, like, like, do you feel silly? You know? Sometimes, but you know, there's actually um, sociological rationale behind that called labeling theory. So it goes back to if we're told something enough, we start to believe it. So the only difference is mm -hmm. I'm telling myself, I'm labeling myself as worthy until it sticks. Um, and there are several studies out there that will stand behind the fact of what you say um, or hear repeatedly to yourself internalizes and can actually dictate your action or your abilities in life. So we're reverse engineering that to make sure that <laughs> I give myself the love I need and support of the other people as well who feed that into my life, my friends, my family, um, and making sure the label that I associate with myself is a positive one that allows me to continue on in advance in any way that I so choose. That is awesome. You know, I. I I've heard the benefits of positive self-talk and I've heard it, you know, preached to me over and over again. And like I said, I, I do it, but I, you know, I didn't know, didn't have too much insight into the, the rationale behind it. Um, that's, that's very interesting. Is that, a, is that a strategy that any of you uh, employ as well? Natasha, I'm looking at you. I feel like you would be somebody who's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. So yes, it is in a way. Um, and Catherine, like you, um, I find myself telling it more to other people than actually doing it myself sometimes. But um, it's funny because what I'm realizing, just even hearing Amanda share this, is that I do it in a different way. I do it by surrounding myself with other women that are going to remind me that I'm, you know, more than just um, more than my weaknesses or more than the things that I don't know. Um, women that can encourage me um, and can remind me that I have something of value to offer. Um, and it's not even just women. I think sometimes it happens to just be other women um, that, you know, are, I'll just say it just happens to be other women. I won't even give you a reason. <laughs> but I'm um, surrounding myself with, you know, people that encourage me, people that support me and help to build me up when I forget that, um, you know, when I forget who I am and who I was created to be. I also do it often in my environment. Um, and I used to think of it as a hobby, but now it's almost like a way of life. It's a necessity. <laughs> so putting things in my physical environment, in my office, around my home, um, wherever I am, that remind me of the person that I want to that I that I want to be, and you know who I need to show up as every single day. Whether that's a picture, words, um, even the way that I set things up in my workspace. Uh, you know, it's all to help to, you know, I guess, 
to just kind of fine tune my my way of thinking, my way of being, so that um, you know I can perform my best and I can deliver at, at my best every single time. I love it. Um, I want to I want to uh, get back to something that. Britt, I think it was you that was, was mentioning lean in. I can't remember who, who exactly was, but um, that, that theory of leaning in goes back to uh, a book written by Sheryl Sandberg um, years ago who um, you know, was talking about how it is, it is so important to be the CEO of your career, right? And you really, like as women particularly, women, um, you know, mothers, parents, you need to almost like you need to lean in to all of the responsibilities and not try to be perfect at everything, but just like lean in and understand that, you know, you can be imperfect at a lot of things and you have all of these responsibilities, but like embrace them, don't fight them, right? Um, I'm curious about your your thoughts on that because it was a controversial book, um, particularly when it first came out and a controversial theory. Um, you know, there was a lot a lot of talk about when she wrote the book, it's like, oh, it's great and it's very empowering, right? But um, she was very successful at the time and had a uh, room off of her office where her baby was and her nanny was and this and that. And so people were like, well, you know, it's easier for her to lean in um, when you have all of that than it is for somebody who's, you know, maybe not as far along in their career. And I'm curious because we're all in different places, right? I have three kids, Natasha, you have kids, uh, you know, Britt, Amanda, Candace, we're all in different spots um, here in our lives. And I'm curious what your theory is on leaning in and, and the degree to which women should lean in and how you approach that. Amanda, let's start with you there. So my thoughts on this, I have not had a chance to read this, which now I'm intrigued because I really, really love to read. So I will be doing that after <laughs> this. Um, now I know my weekend plans. Uh, but without knowing the whole scope of the book, I think it's important to contextualize it, right? So I do want to bring up the concept of intersectionality, right? Kimberly Crenshaw, and she talks about how every single woman in particular, a person, but women here um, experience, have different experiences and experience obstacles diff differently depending on their own characteristics, right? So we each have these different characteristics in life and some of them might lead to certain types of treatment or not treatment. And so I feel like that applies here. Um, for this particular author, you know, she did obviously have some sort of stable income at the time where she was able to afford a nanny um, more than a one bedroom home, which is, you know, luxury in itself. Um, I don't know the race, ethnicity, religion of that individual to be able to say that. Um, but by me saying that, I think it's appropriate for her. The lean in might have been true to her experience and her lifestyle and where she's at in that moment. But I can tell you, um, different individuals with different circumstances, socioeconomic, race, religion, gender, are going to experience those words that lean in differently depending on where they're at in their lives. So I think that there's, as in all advice, there's probably some pieces that can be applied to anyone in any given situation, but we just have to keep them in mind context. And for our lives and where we're at, do our own little cost-benefit analysis is what pieces of this can be helpful for me and how can I apply them or maybe even tweak them a little bit to fit my life to get some positive outcome out of it. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to lean in, but I think it's important for each of us to digest that information in a way that applies to us realistically and then use that to our advantage to create positive change within our own worlds. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love your answer there um, and, and just your 
um, your whole take on that question. Anybody else have any thoughts? I don't, I don't, don't want to put you guys on the spot too much. Only Amanda, but no, I'm just kidding. But uh, you know, did you, <laughs> did you have a chance to read? Are you familiar with the uh, with the theory? And you know, do you have any thoughts on on you know leaning in and what that means to you? Um, I do. I think, like Amanda said, everything with a grain of salt. Um, everything is going to have some really great parts and. Um, everything's going to have some parts that aren't applicable to you and where you are. Um, what really made me, what, what really resonated with me with that um, experience and reading that book is really just pull that seat up at the table. I know we were talking about this um, previously where there were a few of us. I know in my first business meeting at my first job out of college, I immediately didn't sit at the table. I sat in the corner and just tried to, you know, blend in with the wall. Uh, so I think it's one of those things where we also need to feel empowered to pull a seat up at the table. And we need to um, be able to kind of embrace that awkwardness and embrace that discomfort to get to where we wanna be. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. And I love that um, just the symbolism of your background right now, as you're saying that you used to try to blend into the wall because <laughs> there is no blending into that background right now. And I, I, I'm just gonna tell myself you have grown and you feel confident and comfortable not blending into the wall, right? Because um, I, I just, I love the symbolism there. Um, okay, we have uh, about 20 more minutes, and so I, we had a ton of great questions coming in, so I wanna get to those. Um, so first one, uh, let's see, this is from a LinkedIn user. Any tips for or from first-generation women in tech? I think this is a great question. I'd love to hear all of your thoughts on this. Britt, let's start with you here. Any tips for or from, if you happen to be a first-generation woman in tech? I think that the biggest thing there when you're a first gen woman in anything is to really be at ease with yourself because there's going to be a ton of people that tell you, you can't do that. You're too young. You're too naive. You don't know what you're doing. You're not prepared. And no matter where you are, you're going to encounter challenges. It's, I think the biggest thing there is to have support a by yourself but also be having a support group like um amanda and natasha were saying they have women that give them that positive feedback and give them that background for themselves to help build themselves up and i think that that's probably one of the most important things um as someone who has struggled with um depression and anxiety i know that a lot of the times I had I struggled a lot to be confident wherever I was in my writing, in uh, technology, in applying for jobs. I, I think that if I didn't have those people to support me and back me up, then I don't think I would have been the first woman in my family to pursue a master's. I don't think I would have been as successful in my current job. I think that it really took the village and the community to help get me where I am. No one ever does anything by themselves. And I think that's important to keep in mind, especially as a first gen. I think you're hundred percent right there, but I also uh, want to give you a huge, <laughs> a, a ton of credit, Britt, because um, yes, it does take a village. It does take all that respect, but it also takes internal drive. And you have done some incredible things. Look at you, you're, you're in school, you're working a full-time job, you're pursuing your master's, you're first in your family to get a master's. Um, and just uh, allow me to give you a huge congratulations. That, that is awesome uh, and, and some fantastic accomplishments. Yes, a little round of applause, right? 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, anyone else want to weigh in? Um, you know, tips for or from first gen women in tech? I do have two. I'll share um, um, just. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Natasha. Okay, yeah, and we'll I'll, go, we'll I'll share this Amanda. quickly. So, yeah, for me, um, you know, it's definitely first generation, but I think there's something added to it. So I come from, uh, my, my parents are from the West Indies, and I think there's a little bit different, there's a bit of a difference just culturally, right, that I've, I've seen at least in American culture and, you know, somewhere, like I'll say my parents are from Trinidad, for example. So the, the things that they were exposed to and they had access to when they were growing up, it's very different. Um, and I found myself having to um, almost like explain and justify things a lot as I was getting into tech, um, especially earlier on in my career. Um, because the expectations that they had about what work looks like and how long it should take and what times you should do it and what you should wear, there were, it was so different. And when I think the reason that that matters so much is that we, no matter who you are, but I think just this generation, um, when we show up to work, it, it, we have enough to deal with. We have so many things that we're, you know, trying to overcome or navigate or, you know, um, whatever it might be. But then also when you go home at the end of the day and you still have to, you know, explain to parents or other people in your community or environment to that, you know, I, I don't even want to say explain, but almost like justify <laughs> what you're doing just to say like, yes, this is work. <laughs> it looks different than what you were used to, what our grandparents were used to or anything like that. But um, just taking the time to one, give yourself credit, like um, a couple of ladies shared, but not not um, internalize all of the criticism or judgment that you may get and just accept the fact that maybe, you know, the experiences are different. Um, and I don't even know how to put this, but just you almost have to like protect yourself a bit um, because you get criticism from so many different places. But just understanding that the things that your parents may have experienced may be different than yours. So you don't have to internalize that and carry that on your shoulders when you show up to work every day. Um, and just, you know, maybe finding more opportunities where you can create some understanding, um, invite them into your world so that they can see that things are a little bit different for you. And um, yeah, and I hope that communicated that I explained that well. But I think just the level of expectation when you think of, you know, your parents, previous generations, and now. Um, it, it just looks so different in the work world. And that's something I've had to deal with, especially, you know, having parents that uh, didn't work in this world uh, and didn't, you know, have access to a lot of the things that we have access to these days. Thank you for sharing, Natasha. I think that's a wonderful point. And I, I think so many people um, can relate uh, exactly to that. Amanda, uh, you started to, to say something you want to add. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say for a first generation uh, woman in tech, there's a couple rules that I try to follow. The first is find yourself a mentor. Uh, find yourself someone that has been in this position before or is where you want to go. Um, so that's the first thing. Surround yourself with people who can who can pour into you, right? Um, the second tip that I would have for you also is to be a sponge. You are not expected to have all the answers day one. This is a new field for you. You don't have anyone around you that might know. Um, so your only obligation is to be willing to learn and to be resourceful and try to find those out that information or to fill that gap. 
The third thing I'd have to say and the final thing is to pour into yourself. Um, make sure that your cup is full and you are taking um, time for yourself to replenish yourself so you can be the best version of yourself at work. And that's easier said than done, um, especially as a woman and especially within tech because it is an ever-changing field. But to stay agile, to stay flexible, we have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves so that we're getting up, we're not sitting at a computer screen for 20 hours a day, we're exercising, we're communicating with people outside of a screen, we're eating right, you know. So make sure you take care of yourself too. And even though it can be a little bit intimidating coming into a new space, into a new field, um, acknowledging that's part of the process and that you matter. There's a support system if you can get a mentor, you know, to help you along that journey um, and just be responsible for, for learning and that continuation of learning because that's all it is. Just continue learning and you'll be great. No doubts. <laughs> and if you would like uh, Amanda to call you and give you these uh, tips <laughs> on demand, you can just uh, get a subscription at gotcha. INE and we'll work, work something out there. Um, no, that's great. That's great, Amanda. I, this, uh, I wanted to get to this question, Candace. I think this is a great one for you. This is from Haruno Fago. Um, why do you think it's important for more women to join the tech industry? And I say I, I direct that to you because, you know, in a position of HR, um, you know, that's one of your challenges, right? Oh, it definitely is. Um, we are hiring. Please feel free to check out the <laughs> careers page. Uh <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, yes. I think it's really important because it really does make for a better team and a better product. Um, when you have, we're, we serve a diversity of customers here at INE. We can't paint what one customer looks like for our business mm -hmm. as a whole. And when we can have those perspectives that are varied, we can make sure that we are, you know, making better products that have better language that better target and help everyone learn. Um, I think it's easy when you're in a room full of people who look just like you and have your same experience and your same background that um, you can not realize some of those little missing pieces. So when you have a variety of opinions and, you know, different types of people in the room, you can really make a not better, just a better product, but a better organization. Um, so I think it's really important for everyone to have a seat at the table and especially women to be, um, they're 50% of the world. I think it's important for them to be a large part of the tech industry as well. Yeah. And abolish the echo chamber, right? Get different viewpoints in there. Get different viewpoints in there. Um, Brittany, this is a, uh, a great question that came in from Cyber Lola. Brittany, how do you manage your time between work and university studies? You've got a lot going on. I only mm. know mainly about your work responsibilities and uh, that is overwhelming. Now you have university, you're studying for a master's degree. How do you balance it all? Sure. So I think that's a very interesting question because when I look at my schedule, I don't think, oh, I really need to balance this. I think, okay, I need to put some of my time towards each of these things. For work, you know, you have the standard work day, the nine to five, and you have your responsibilities there. But then after work, yeah, sometimes I'll think about it and I'll um, kind of be like, well, I wonder how we could solve this or how we should approach that. But a lot of the time for work, I try to disconnect and really detach myself from work just because I want that work-life balance. And in terms of university, um, right now I'm in the research segment. I've been able to have great classmates and even some of my peers at work uh, have been very supportive and encouraging um, in my research efforts. Um, so I think 
most of that has just come from good time management. Uh, I'm very lucky in that the program I selected was meant for working professionals. Um, the class times are <laughs> from 8 to 930 uh, at night, so it, it doesn't really interfere with my work life all that much. Um, but it's also presented a lot of opportunities. A lot of the um, homework, if you will, has been applicable to my work. Uh, for example, creating um, technical documents and um, statement of works and processes. I've learned so much about how the corporate work functions that I wouldn't have learned otherwise and being able to hear other people's experience. Um, so I think, if anything, it's helped me to be more efficient <laughs> and effective hmm. during my work time. I absolutely love that answer. You've almost convinced me to go for my master's. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's, that's a great answer. Um, we had another, I, this question I thought was really interesting that, that everyone can speak to, whether you, you know, whether you have kids or, or you know, were a kid who was raised, uh, you know, raised, but how do you think parents raising future women in tech can best support their children? I'd say just making it normal. I'm not even going to call on anybody this time. <laughs> just normalizing it, you know, exposing your kids to those things. And, you know, sometimes I go to the store and I, I see that it's, it's split, right? You have these toys that are marketed towards girls mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. things that are marketed towards, towards boys and just, you know, exposing them to everything and putting, pulling everything else off the, you know, aside and just saying, you know, go and explore, see what you're interested in, encouraging them, supporting them, you know, exposing them to things that they wouldn't do. They wouldn't necessarily be exposed to at school. You know, I'd say um, when I was, I've worked um, and been exposed to more of the traditional school setting. And as an educator, um, you know, I've, I've dealt with some frustrations, I think, just like the institution, right? Um, so I take a personal responsibility with my child to make sure that I'm, I'm investing in his, his education and his training, not just at school, but at home. So creating an environment where he gets to, um, you know, explore things and art and music are not just for little girls and just like technology is not just for little boys and science. So giving, you know, giving them access and um, letting them see that it's, it's for everybody, you know, whether you have a son or a daughter um, or, you know, what, regardless of what your child, how your child identifies and sees themselves, but allowing them to kind of explore and find that for themselves and not be told this is what you should do or should not do. Yeah, overcoming those stereotypes starting, mm -hmm. you know, right, right out of the gate. Um, anyone else have, have any thoughts on that? How, how can parents best support future women in tech? I think for I me, I 100% echo. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I think for me personally, it's that encouragement, especially when there is an expression of interest. Um, my best subjects, ironically, were math and science, and I didn't end up going into that practitioner field, but it was something that I was encouraged to do and encouraged to research. And I wasn't necessarily bound to any stereotypes growing up. I had video games. I had um, my own laptop computer to play with and learn actively. Um, I wasn't told like, oh, you need to play with the dolls. And of course, like, you'll receive them because that's just the stereotype. But 
to say like, oh, you have this and therefore you need to play with it or you need to go into this direction of art and doing hair or makeup is not necessarily going to benefit uh, any individual unless that's something that they're interested in. So I think really honing in and listening to what the the young female wants to learn about and what they're interested in is the best approach. I love that encouragement and, and just acceptance of, of who the child is, right? And, and um, you know, enabling them to become the best version of themselves. Amanda, you started to say something as well. Yes, um, so I echo all of this. I was especially excited to hear about Natasha talking about um, the socialization of children with toys and even colors. Like I think back to the leap pad you know, I don't know if anyone had a leap pad or maybe has a kid that had a leap pad um, that my sister had and it was green. And I remember I was younger and I was like, why isn't there a pink one? You know, so and that deterred me from wanting to play with this leap pad. And as ridiculous as that sounds, um, even being intentional, and I love that Natasha said that about taking the stereotypes out, normalizing it, right? So go down the aisles and just whatever you think would be interesting, go for it. Like the color doesn't matter. The character, you know, doesn't matter. Um, just that idea. And, and the second thing I think as the child starts to get a little bit older, there is a lot more emphasis now in schools, which I am so excited about for STEM and STEAM. And so there's a lot of clubs um, that potentially your child can be a part of, extracurricular activities even. Um, you know, they have these really cool hackathons now at the high school level. Um, so there is some opportunity for engagement as like a social club and in development that way. So I would highly recommend taking a look into that. You can call down to your, your school, whatever school your child is potentially in, see if they have anything there. Um, and if they don't, you can always see if there'd be a teacher willing to sponsor it because a lot of times it exists but without the demand the teacher doesn't think about doing it so express the interest and something will come of it i promise awesome i love it as a parent would, i'm gonna take that advice yeah go ahead i would just add go ahead and you know let them explore but let them fail too um especially mm -hmm. in tech there are way more opportunities for failure i feel like than you know you can totally mess up a program. <laughs> you can totally mess up so many different things. So it's okay. And just keep re-encouraging when that failure happens. Um, you know, it's a lot harder to fail at coloring a picture than it is at certain other elements. You know, you can definitely fail at a math problem. We may not necessarily fail at uh, some art. So I think just encouraging that attitude that just keep trying and really, um, you know, it's okay to fail. So many nuggets of wisdom from this group of people. Amanda, Candace, Natasha, Britt, thank you all so much for being here. I could literally talk to you all day. Um, I might just invite you to, uh, to a Zoom later today so we can just continue talking. <laughs> um, no, thank you. thank you guys so, so much for being here, for answering questions, and, and most of all, for, for being candid, for going there, letting your vulnerability show and just um, you know, offering some, some expertise and some insight for our audience today. Thank you. Awesome, thanks, Catherine. Yeah, Thank you so much for having absolutely. me. Absolutely, you're welcome. Thank you so much. You guys will be back for sure. Thank you. All right, that is gonna wrap up today's stream. Thank you for watching. If you missed it live, you can look for the replay across our social media channels as well as on the INE website. We will be live again in just two days. Count them up, two days this Thursday, March 31st for the INE boardroom. And this month, we have a good one. We're featuring a one-on-one -on -one interview with our CEO, Richard McLean. 
We'll be talking about highlights from the first quarter, talk about some exciting changes ahead. We'll show off our brand new lab platform and have some hands-on demonstrations for you. And Richard will also be taking your questions. So get them ready, get them prepared, and come on and join us. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using so you can stay in the loop for details on our next stream and get those notifications when we do go live. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Until then, have a great week.